Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? So I'm going to be really honest up front. This is the sickest I've been in a really long time. So I have not been out of bed for three days. Uh, I, my fever broke yesterday. Uh, and so I am, uh, there's a sermon here somewhere. Uh, and, uh, but there are certain Sundays where I'm keenly aware of the need for the Holy Spirit to give me power and strength for what I'm doing. And so if it feels like I don't have a ton of energy today, um, I don't. Uh, so we're going to just open with a word of prayer, and we're going to start by asking the Lord to help me today to get through the next 30 minutes. If I turn green and ask Tyler to come up and pray, um, just pretend like nothing happened, all right? Just pretend like nothing happened. Uh, and I'm not shaking anybody's hands today either, and it's not because I'm mean, all right? Just so you know, I'm very friendly. I normally shake your hand. Uh, but today I'm dragging. So Father, uh, I just pray that you would give me the strength and the power uh, the discernment, the wisdom, the words to say today. We, we trust that uh, today that you want to speak to us through your word and that you want to communicate to us. And so uh, I just pray that you would help me to get out of the way and allow you to speak through me. So thank you for this time. We pray that you would have your way with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you want a Bible, we've got some Bibles in the back. You can just kind of raise your hand and we will have somebody put a Bible in your hand. We're walking through the story of the life of Jacob. And so we're in Genesis chapter 27 this week. And so you can open your Bibles there and we're just going to kind of walk through uh, what begins to happen in Genesis 27. And last week we kind of opened with this idea that Jacob is kind of the anti-hero of the Old Testament. Uh, he, he doesn't have all the characteristics of a hero. Uh, he doesn't always choose the right thing. He doesn't always have the right motivations or motives. Um, but he understands that the promise of God is available to him. And that's important and that's significant. Uh, and, and, and so what he does is he deceives his brother Esau into taking his birthright. Um, his brother Esau is a hairy man. Uh, that's what we know about him. Uh, he's a big, strong man. He's a hunter, and he apparently really likes soup. Uh, that's what we know of Esau. And so Jacob, his name means go-getter, or his name means heel. And he came out of the womb a few moments after Esau. They're twins. And Jacob apparently was grabbing at the heel of Esau as if there was conflict and strife from the very birth about who is going to get the blessing, who's going to get the birthright, which in our culture that seems really insignificant, right? Who's born first doesn't really matter that much. In this culture, it was everything. It was the only thing that mattered. It was the most significant thing that could matter. And here's the reality for us today is everybody wants a blessing. Everybody wants a blessing. And, and everybody has a longing for encouragement. Everybody has a longing for somebody to declare good things about them. Everybody needs an encourager to walk beside them. One of the things we used to say in, in, in my previous ministry, when I worked in college ministry, we would say, everybody needs a Paul that is discipling you. Everybody needs a Timothy that you're discipling. And everybody needs a Barnabas that's encouraging you. I believe that everybody needs a blessing. Everybody needs somebody that is walking beside them, encouraging them, reminding them of who they are. Because if we don't, the world is declaring over and over and over again who we aren't. And so over and over again, we're hearing a narrative of we're not good enough, we have to earn, we have to achieve, we have to win, we can't keep up with this guy at work, we can't keep up with our neighbors, we've got to fight, we've got to battle, we've got to do all of these different things. And the good news of the gospel is the promise is ours. 
The good news of the gospel is the blessing is ours. The good news of the gospel is the birthright is ours. And so we need somebody to walk beside us. And there's something incredibly powerful about words from your father. Uh, my boys are getting older. My son Cole turned 16 this week, uh, which is crazy. I know, uh, it's crazy. And uh, I took him to Oklahoma City with me. I was traveling there to do some teaching and took Cole with me on this trip to Oklahoma City. And on Wednesday, I started feeling terribly sick. Uh, and I was feeling awful because it was his birthday. And I said, buddy, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do? And he said, can we, just, can we just go see a movie? And I was like, that's perfect because I can just sleep. Like, whatever movie he chooses, I'm just going to sleep instantly. And so, guess what movie my son chose? Think about the worst movie that's out right now. Possibly the worst movie in the history of movies is the movie Rampage. Right? Did anybody play this video game when you were a kid? Anybody? Yeah, we've got like four or five people. There, it was just like a little gorilla that would climb a building and punch it and knock it down and then randomly eat people. That was... That's what this movie is, built, is based off of, is this video game, right? And, and here's what I want you all to know about, has anybody seen this movie? Yeah, well, we got a few people. Here's what I want you to know about this movie. Imagine how bad you think this movie is. It is infinitely worse than what you would imagine it is. And it also, there's a lot of gorilla and animal sounds when you're trying to sleep. So I, I wish he could have picked like a peaceful, like, I don't know, maybe the, the, what's the, the quiet place, right? That seems like a perfect one for us to watch because I think there's lots of quietness in that, I would imagine, right? It was, there was just, it was lots of screaming, lots of gorillas, lots of shouting. It was awful for a sick dad who was trying to sleep, but I did have the reclining seat and I got a, I slept through about half of it, right? Um, I'll, I'll save you the ending. The rock saves the world, right? That's how, uh, he, he does it, right? He, uh, so uh, we're at this thing, and we're hanging out throughout the day, and, and I just, man, I just looked at my son at the end of the day, and I was like, buddy, I just, I just need you to know how much I love you, how proud I am of you, and what an amazing and great kid you are. Um, and, and sometimes as a dad, I don't realize how important it is for me to give the blessing to my kids. Right, to just continually tell them who they are in Christ, to continually pull out the good stuff in them, to continually tell them, like, man, buddy, when I see this in you, I see Jesus. Like, buddy, you are so good at this. Like, you are so incredible at this. And to pull out the good stuff. It's easy for us to bring words of shame and guilt and, and all kinds of different things. We've got to give a different kind of word. I, I, I'll never forget the very first time my father heard me preach. The very first time my father heard me preach, I preached in this ch little church in Ohio, and my dad stood in the back, and, and I was like 20 years old. It was probably a terrible sermon. It was probably completely heretical, right? I probably stole half of it from somebody else somewhere because I didn't know what I was doing when I was 20. None, 20 year olds, I love you, but you don't know what you're doing yet, right? Uh, and, and so I, I, I preached this message, and, and I'll never forget, like my, my dad, I, I don't, he didn't show emotion very often, and uh, he, he was kind of a um, when I was younger, he, he, he didn't, there wasn't a lot of I love yous and hugs. Now it's all the time I love you and hugs, which is, shows that he's grown and it just his posture towards me and, and, and our relationship together. But, but I'll never forget, man, I came off that stage and walked to the back, and my dad just like wrapped me up and just said, son, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. 
There is something incredibly powerful about a blessing, even in our culture. And in biblical times, the, in the Old Testament, this meant even more because in, in this culture, you were born into a world where your destiny was already set. You did what your father did. Right? There wasn't, it wasn't a world where, we, we grow up in a world where we're told at a very young age, you can be anything you want to be. Right? The question that we ask our kids all the time is, well, who do you want to be when you grow up? Right? In, in, in this culture, you already knew. It was already determined. And, and it was actually determined by this, the status and the class of your parents. Nobody jumped socioeconomic classes in this culture. Nobody jumped from, from being a farmer to being a, a, a king. It just didn't happen. You, you stayed in your lane. You did your thing. And your, your, your future was already set, determinative on who your parents were, on what they did, and, and on what was going on. And so the greatest possibility you had was to be born first, because if you're born first, you take over the family business. And so Jacob and Esau are in this space where Esau is born first. It's already determined. His destiny is set out before him, and the blessing is going to come his way. And the blessing is a blessing of you are going to receive well-being, you are going to receive prosperity, you are going to receive peace, and you're going to receive the inheritance, now, in some families, that probably meant more than in other families, but that's what the blessing included. But here's the deal. For Isaac, the blessing meant more because Isaac is the son of Abraham. Abraham is the recipient of the promise of God that through him there will be many nations, that he will be the father of many nations. And that promise that I will be your God and you will be my people is passed down from generation to generation. And so that promise is passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That's why all throughout scripture we hear the phrase, he's the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, he's the God of Jacob. Notice we don't hear the God of Esau in the story. So this, this, this blessing is also, I'm passing on the promise. Does that make sense? Which is enormous, right? It's a huge deal because God's people actually understood that this promise mattered, that this promise was significant, that this promise carried power with them. And so what we have to understand, as we dive into this story, what we have to understand is the Old Testament, as we journey through the Old Testament, as we walk through narratives of the life of Jacob, as we look at Genesis, as we look at the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and as we move forward throughout Scripture, what we understand is the Old Testament is a story that sets up attention. It is a narrative that sets up attention. And over and over and over again, what it's revealing is all the ways in which the world is in need of repair. From the moment of the garden, the Bible becomes the story of God putting his family back together again through Jesus. And I know that's something we say around here a lot, but we say it because it's essential for us to understand what Scripture is teaching us and telling us. And so the Old Testament is a picture of a world that is being made right by a Savior that is coming. And so what the Old Testament does masterfully is sets up the tension. And here's the tension that we're living in in this story in Genesis 27. The blessing... The promise, the birthright, only belongs to a few. It only belongs to you if you're born in the right place. 
It only belongs to you if you've earned it or achieved it or won it or been lucky enough to land in the right spot. And what we understand, because we know the end of the story, right? We just sang about it. What we understand is that Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. The promise is for everybody. The blessing is for everybody. The birthright is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. It doesn't matter where you were born. And it also even doesn't matter how you've behaved in your past. It doesn't matter what sins you've walked into this place with. It doesn't matter what brokenness you've carried. It doesn't matter that moment in time that is the worst moment of your life that you feel shame and guilt and pain over. All of those things are wiped clean in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus says very clearly, my grace, my my mercy, my forgiveness is extended to everybody. The blessing, the birthright, the inheritance, it belongs to all of us. Good. Yeah, it's good news. It's incredibly, incredibly good news. And so a lot can be learned through the Old Testament, but here's what I would suggest. We walk through the Old Testament with Jesus as our guide. Does that make sense? We journey through the Old Testament knowing how the story ends and knowing that what's happening in the Old Testament is setting up the tension that shows us that we need a Savior. Right? So I had a professor in college that said, the law points us to Jesus because we can't fulfill it. The Old Testament points us to Jesus because we see how we can't fix it. We see that there is this brokenness, this family that is in tension because we have chosen to sin, because we've chosen to do go our way, because we've chosen to walk in our own steps rather than God's steps. There is a brokenness that is in need of repair, and no matter how hard we try, we can't repair it. And if we live in the world of the Old Testament, here's what begins to happen. We fight over the blessing. When we live in the world of the Old Testament, what begins to happen is we fight over the birthright. We fight over the inheritance. What we do is we enter into a world of scarcity versus a world of abundance. We enter into a world where there's not enough blessing to go around, and if there's not enough blessing to go around, then I got to get mine so that he doesn't get his. I, if, if there's not enough inheritance to go around, then I got to fight for everything that I get. And what we see in Jacob is a young man who is willing to fight for it. He's a go-getter. He's grabbing at the heel. He's chasing after all of those things. So let's jump in. Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to spend the whole sermon just setting up this theologically. Here we go. Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. We don't like to say old around here. We say seasoned, right? When he was seasoned, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him this. Um, and I love, I love the, like the dialogue in the Old Testament. It's amazing. Here's what he says. My son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. <laughs> Which, I don't know about you guys, but there are moments when I wake up and that's exactly what I think. Like, <laughs> behold, I am old. <laughs> Right? Like, behold, I'm tired. Behold, my body's not working. I, I looked the other day. I have, like, hair coming out of my ears at, like, a rapid, rapid pace. That doesn't happen when you're 20. Like, I, I, I don't, behold, I'm old. There's hair coming out of my ears. Like, behold, I'm old. These gray streaks are moving all the way up. Like, behold, I'm old. Why am I so tired from shooting baskets at the arcade the other day with Cole? Like, <laughs> Behold, I am old, right? This is this, is this amazing statement. <laughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> I love it. They need, like, yeah, Aaron Sorkin could have helped them out a little bit. Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death, 
Now then, take your weapons and your quiver and bow and go out in the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat and, and my soul may bless you before I die. Now, I, I want you to know, I understand Isaac in this moment because I love barbecue. Anybody with me? Like, barbecue is my jam. That's my thing. Like, uh, when, we, when we travel, Gravity Leadership, our team travels all over the country, and we do trainings and teachings, and the last night that we're there is always barbecue night. And wherever we're at, we just try the barbecue. So we ask them, like, what's the best barbecue joint in certain places? And, and I'll be honest, some places the barbecue's far better than other places. Uh, but our, our test is to like find the best barbecue place in the world. And we've got a theme that we carry into that place, and it is there will be no brisket left behind, right? Uh, and so we enter in, and we, it's always the brisket, right? The brisket is the test of a good barbecue place. Everybody know this? Everybody understand this? Guacamole is the test of a good Mexican restaurant. Uh, uh, brisket is the test of a good barbecue joint. So I understand Isaac in loving the brisket, right? I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% there. It, you, I, I love it. But here's the thing. Isaac is doing this completely wrong. This is not the way you're supposed to do the blessing. So this is supposed to be public and not private. It's a public ceremony where the blessing is distributed. And for some reason, he wants to make this private because he wants his barbecue. That's all we get. That's the only hint we get from Scripture. It's supposed to be planned and not spur the moment. It's supposed to have an audience and a group of people with them. Uh, and it's not supposed to revolve around brisket. I think it says that somewhere in Leviticus, right? Uh, like, this is not how this is supposed to go. But, but here's, what, here's what Isaac is struggling with in this moment. And it's interesting because it's the same thing Esau struggled with in Genesis 25 when he gave up his birthright for soup. He's struggling uh, for uh, it's flesh versus faith. It's, I have this desire, I have this want, I have this thing that I need but I also know how I'm supposed to live. I know how I'm asked to live. I know how God invites me into living. And, and, and so he chooses to do this the wrong way. Now, I have a few speculations as to why. Now, this is completely me speculating, right? This is not, this is not in Genesis 27. This is completely my speculation as to why Isaac is doing this way. I think Isaac is doing this way because Rebecca has told him over and over and over again the promise that God gave to her. So remember last week? Remember the promise in Genesis 25 that said, Jacob will rule his older brother. God revealed that to Rebekah. And from that moment, Rebekah became an advocate for Jacob. Esau, who likes barbecue and whose son is apparently good with the grill, has stuck with Esau and said, I'm sticking here. And so the parents chose sides. And I am guessing that maybe once or twice in their life together, this conversation has come up, right? So it makes sense that he's like, I'm just not going to deal with the fight. I'm just not going to deal with the battle. I'm going to do this privately, and I'm going to get my brisket, and I'm going to do the blessing, right? Uh, Behold, I am old. Get me some barbecue, right? That could be the, the title of this sermon. Uh, so he's heard this over and over. He just doesn't want to have the fight again. So what he decides to do is I'm just going to take some shortcuts, I'm just going to do my own thing. Verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and to bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, so bring me game and, pre 
and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord and I, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I might prepare the delicious food for your father such as he loves. Apparently, Rebecca can do the barbecue too. And you shall bring it to your father and eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and it will seem to be mocking to him and he will bring a curse instead of a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let the curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice and bring them to me. Very interesting dynamics going on here. here here's what happens all throughout the story of Jacob. The narrator of the story seems completely unable to name the character flaws in Rebecca and Jacob. Right? This is shady, what's happening here. They're tricking their old blind father with barbecue and hairy arms. Right? This is what they're doing. They're fooling him. They're, they're grabbing. They're taking. They're getting. They're achieving. They're accomplishing. They're doing all of those things. But, but the Old Testament is completely comfortable with this tension. Right? So imagine this as the first part of a movie that is setting up the tension so that the hero can resolve the tension. Right? The gorillas are loose. They are knocking down buildings, but the rock is coming. Right? The blessing, the birthright, all of these things are broken. This is not how the world should be, but Jesus is coming. This is how we read the Old Testament. Right? So there is this tension that is being set up, and this is why this matters. The future of the promise belongs to this family that's in crisis. It belongs there. And the blessing meant that the promise was passed down from person to person. And so they're fighting for this blessing. And, and here's, the, here's the deal. When the blessing and the promise only belong to a few, we always have to fight for it. And the truth is, we're still fighting in our culture. We're still fighting. Because we believe that I've got to get the blessing. That I've got to earn this. And that despite our, our, our best efforts, we can't undo the promises of God. Nothing can, can allow you to lose the promise or gain the promise in our own strength. It's all dependent on what Christ has done, not on what we have done. So all we do is receive the promise. We have this choice. We can receive it or not receive it. So there is a way in our world where the Jacobs of our world do pretty well. The takers do well. Some of you in your office, you've got a taker in your office. You've got a Jacob in your office. You've got a guy who knows how to take what he wants, who knows how to get in there with the boss, who knows how to play all the political games, who knows how to get the blessings, who knows how to get the inheritance, who knows how to get the birthright, who's cunning and smart and deceptive and knows how to trick the, the knows how to earn it this way. And what we see in the Old Testament is everybody is a competitor. There is a scarcity, so I have to fight for it. That everybody who is not me is an outsider. That we've got to patrol the borders of who's in and who's out of the kingdom of God. And we've got to prove that we belong and that somebody else doesn't. So we fight. We become Jacob. We take we earn, we know how to get what we want by deception. We know how to get what we want by fighting for it. We know how to get what we want with the barbecue and the goat hair on our arms. 
We've figured out how to play this game. We figure it out from a very young age, too. Watch our children. Our children know how to play this game. And what the picture of the Old Testament is teaching us is that this isn't the game that we play. This isn't the game that we're invited into. That we're actually called to live in a completely counter-cultural way. So Jacob fools Isaac, right? He goes in, he makes the barbecue, he puts a little hair on his arm, he puts Esau's clothes on him so that he smells like Esau, and Jacob fools him, but, but I, think, I, think he, I, I, think ja- I think Isaac knows what's going on here. So Isaac asks four different questions in the midst of this moment. He says, how did you find this food so quickly? He says, your voice sounds like Jacob's. He says, I want to touch your skin. And he says, are you really Esau? So we, this, the narrative kind of sets up Isaac as the fool. I'm not sure Isaac's the fool. I'm not sure that deep down, Isaac has heard over and over and over again that Jacob is the one who should get the birthright and the blessing. I'm not so sure that he doesn't know that that's true. I'm not so sure that deep down he doesn't say, you know, Esau's good at the grill, but I'm not sure I'd put him in charge of the family restaurant. Does that make sense? He can make up some brisket, but I'm not sure I want him making decisions about our future as a family. Maybe deep down in there there's lots of those things going. I'm, I'm speculating on all of these things. Let's go to verse 30. So as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, which he did, because he did everything that Rebekah told him to, when Jacob had scarcely gone from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. (coughs) Excuse me. He had also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came in, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Really, really good stuff here. So here's what we begin to see in Esau. In Esau, we have an interesting example of a sign of repentance without true repentance. So Esau is crying with great and exceeding and bitter crying, which crying is oftentimes a sign of repentance, right? But it's the first step in repentance. It isn't the whole picture of repentance. It is easy for us to cry over not receiving the blessing, but actually not want to turn and change our ways. This is Esau. Esau is a man of his flesh. Esau is a man who gave away his birthright for a bowl of soup. And there are many of us, like Esau, who are governed by our desires, who are governed by the little things that we want, who will gladly sell away our birthright and sell away the promise and give away the things that are the most valuable to us for a little bowl of soup. And when we lose it, we cry. But there's a difference between crying and repenting. Does that make sense? There's a difference between us feeling sadness that we didn't get the promise and us actually repenting. Repenting is agreeing with God about reality and walking in it. Uh, here, let's hear that again. Uh, repentance is agreeing with God about reality and then learning to walk in it. 
So it's not just acknowledging that I didn't get what I want and so I'm sad. It's not just acknowledging I received these consequences and I'm broken by these consequences. It's actually agreeing with God, which is saying your way is better than my way. Your plan is better than my plan. And because of that, I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to surrender my plan. It's almost like we're saying I'm going to make my life a living sacrifice to you and you're going to do what you want with my life because I believe and trust that your way is better than my way and that you're better at determining what's good, right, and perfect for my life than I am myself. That's repentance. There is a way that when we sin, that when we turn against God, we can feel the consequences of that and feel sadness, but that sadness is a fruit that leads us to repentance. It isn't repentance itself. This is insanely significant for us. True repentance is agreeing with God, which is saying, no, God, you're right. Your way is better than my way. And because of that, I'm going to walk in that truth. I'm going to walk in the ways that you asked me to walk and not the ways that I want to walk. Uh, I had a friend who lost everything because of an affair. Lost his job, lost his family, lost everything. And I'll never forget sitting with him and a group of people as he was confessing and sharing and, and telling us what had happened. And, and, and I remember him saying, I didn't even love her and I lost everything over this. There is a way that we can choose creation over the creator. There is a way that we can choose flesh over faith. There is a way over and over and over again we can choose barbecue over what we're called to do. Jesus said, what will a man exchange for his soul? Jesus said, what would a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And what he's saying is that our soul is so infinitely more valuable than all of these created things in the world, yet for many of us, we will choose to give it away for something simple and insignificant and unimportant. Look at how cheaply we sell our souls. Esau was willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. Isaac was willing to completely go against the will of God and the word of God because he wanted some barbecue. And the cry in this moment was for a lost blessing. But that cry could actually lead us to repentance. And, and listen, I'm with you in this. Right? I, 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 I don't want you to, to, to believe. Like there, uh, Paul said, I'm the greatest of all sinners. Right? There's an acknowledgement that the world was crying out to him just as much as it was crying out to everybody else. That the barbecue and the soup and all the things that the world calls us to call out to every single one of us. And the question for us is, are we going to walk in the ways of the Lord or are we going to walk in our own ways? Are we going to allow him to determine our steps or are we going to determine our own steps? And again, what, this, what we see is this sign of the Old Testament because it does not matter how much Esau cries the blessing is gone. Now here's the good news for us today. Everybody hear me and look at me. Here's the good news. The good news for us is that the blessing is available to us even when we do eat the soup. The good news for us is that forgiveness is available to us even when we go the wrong way. The good news for us is repentance is available to us if we will just receive it. And so we come to Christ and we say, I'm in desperate need of forgiveness. 
I've done my own thing. I've walked my own way. And I'm not only in need of a Savior, but I'm in need of a Lord who will tell me how to live and teach me how to live. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many will become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now Jesus guides us through the Old Testament, right? And the good news for us today is that when we fail, God is on the other side of it full of grace because of the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, right? So I, I, Jesus is actually, actually Jesus' description of hell, do you remember Jesus' description of hell? is that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be weeping that is saying, I have given up everything for a bowl of soup. I have given up everything for a woman that I didn't love. I have given up everything for something that is completely insignificant compared to what I could have had. And so, (laughs) we want to live by our own rules, but God sets the rules. We want to walk in our own way, but God says, I've got a better way for you. And so what do we do? We agree with God about reality, and we walk in it. So the answer, listen, here's the thing. I've heard so many sermons preached on this. I've heard so many messages preached on Esau and preached on Isaac, and they end with this. Try harder. Go do better. Stop eating soup. Right? Whatever your soup is, knock it off. Right? And, and I'll be truthful, like, I'm, I kind of know as a preacher, I could pull some levers and press some buttons right here. I could tell a tear-filled story about somebody that ate soup that would motivate you for a little while to, like, go out there and be super holy. But, but here's the good news. We, we continue to work to live into the ways of Christ, right? But the good news is it's available to us. The promises, the grace, the blessing, the birthright, the inheritance, it's all available to us. And so rather than just saying, I'm just going to go and I'm going to work harder and I'm going to feel guilty and then I'm going to try harder again and then I'm going to feel guilty and then I'm going to try harder again and I'm going to walk in this cycle of feeling guilty and trying harder, the good news is, is that Christ wants to come alongside of you right now. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you and wants to lead you. If we actually surrender our soups to him, He shows us a better way. He teaches us a better way. And so here's the reality for every single one of us in this room. We've all got something that calls out to us. And I know this is silly talking about soup and barbecue, but this is what Scripture gives us. Right, fellas in the room? Some of you, lust is calling out to you all the time. And it's real and it's present. And it's available at the click of a button. Some, some of us, it's anger. Some of us, it's the lack of forgiveness. Some of us, it's, it's pride. Some of us, it's, it's the love of money and resources. There, there's all kinds of different things in the world that are going to cry out to us. And the question is, what do we do with our desires? 
There's, there's two things that we do in the Christian, or, or in, in our culture, and I won't even say in the, in the Christian world, in our culture, that we do with our desires. The first is we run to them, and we embrace them, and we do what feels right, and we do what feels good, and we grab onto our desires and our wants, and we say, just do whatever. The second thing is we pretend like we don't have them, right? So we hide them in the trunk, we pretend like there's nothing going on. We pretend like we don't have any desires or any wants. There's a better way. The kingdom of God says what we do with our desires and our wants is we take them, we lay them at the foot of the cross, we surrender them to our good Father in heaven, and we say, will you give me this because I trust that you can. Every sin that we commit is trying to take what God has already given to us and get it in another way. It's a shortcut to the promise that's already been given. It's a shortcut to the blessing. It's a shortcut to the birthright. It's a shortcut to the inheritance. It's grabbing something that we think is going to fill us, that we think is going to make us right, but will always leave us hungry and thirsty. And so what we do is we surrender our desires to the kingdom of God and we say, Lord, would you rule and reign in this area of my life? This is what I want. This is an incredibly powerful, Jesus' most significant discipleship question. Look at the life of Jesus. You know what Jesus asks over and over and over again? What do you want? What do you want? What do you really want? I want to be blessed. I want an inheritance. I want a birthright. I want to be loved. I want to feel satisfaction. I want to feel joy. I want to feel protected. I need a provider. All of these things that we name, I want a relationship. All of these things that we name, God says, I can give you that. I can give you that. Will you trust me? Will you trust that my way is better than your way? Will you trust me that you don't have to deceive? You don't have to trick. You don't have to earn. You don't have to battle or fight for. You don't have to look at your brother as your enemy. I freely give my grace and mercy to everybody. The promise is available to us. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, that's incredibly good news. And so what we learn to do is we learn to surrender to the kingdom. We learn to lay down our will for God's will. We learn to lay down our wants for God's wants. And we learn to walk in his ways. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna come to the table today. And we don't have barbecue or soup. Uh, but we do have bread and juice. And every time we come to the table on Sundays, it's a picture. It's, it's, a, it's a liturgical thing for us that we do. Now, some of you don't like that wording, but it is. It's something we enter into every week, and we do it to remember who Christ was. We do it to remember that this way of the Old Testament, where the promise isn't available to everyone, is gone. And a new world has come. We do it because... All of our sins have been forgiven. We do it because the claim of death over our lives is over. And so we enter into communion, remembering what Christ has done for us and celebrating. Um, and so one of the things we've been trying to do over the past few months is just 
figure out how do we make communion not an individualistic thing, but a corporate thing. Um, in, in the church, because our culture is so individualistic, so much of what we do is just about me. Right? It's about uh, Christ dying for me. It's about my sins being forgiven. It's about my brokenness. It's about I. But, but in, throughout Scripture, what we see is there, there's a me, but there's also an us. And what we see in this family of Jacob and Esau is this brokenness is all brought about because there's not relationship. Because like, I, I feel like I just want to send Jacob and Esau to a good counselor, right? I, just sit down and pray with them for a little while. Just give them a hug. Like make them hug each other or something, right? You're going to say something nice about him and you're going to say something nice about him. Right? There's, something, there's something that happens that's really beautiful when we as the body of Christ acknowledge we're in this together. Um, one of the things we deeply believe about the church is that we are the family of God, that we all serve the same Father, that we have our brother Jesus, and that every single one of us are brothers and sisters. All, every single one of us are keepers of the promise. Every single one of us have the inheritance that's been given to us. And so we get to walk together in this, which means this, guys, we don't have to hide we don't have to hide the fact that there's a soup that we really like. We don't have to hide the fact that sometimes it's really easy for me to give up for my, my faith for my flesh. We don't have to hide the fact that we're weak and that we're vulnerable and that there's some brokenness in our life. I want you to understand, guys, there are no perfect people in this room. None. And we don't even want to pretend to be. Right? The, the only perfect perfect thing that's going on here is our Savior. That's all we got. And so we lean into him, we trust him, and we just simply come to each other and say, hey, I need some help. We started doing some men's gatherings. And I think there's something really powerful when men actually gather together and are authentic and honest enough to say, hey, I'm struggling in my marriage right now. I need help. Hey, I'm struggling with parenting my kids right now, and I need some help. I'm struggling with this guy at work and I need some help. And we want to be a place where we can honestly and authentically be real. And then say, let's agree with God about reality and let's walk in it. Let's figure out what that looks like and let's walk together. So we're going to enter into a time of prayer. The band's going to sing. Uh, and, and here's my encouragement to you. Find somebody in the room, family, friend, Maybe it's a stranger. Don't be weird, right? But maybe it's a stranger. And just say, hey, can we pray? Can I pray for you? Um, praying for one another is a form of blessing. What Isaac does when he, pray, when he, when he blesses Jacob is he prays for him. And everybody wants a blessing. Everybody wants a blessing. I, I, I was laughing this week at how many rap songs I listened to that talk about nobody prayed for me. Nobody prayed for me. And what they're saying in those, in those terms is nobody blessed me and I need a blessing. We have the power with our words to extend a blessing. Every single day, every single moment, every single day. I, I'm, I'm constantly praying as a father like, Lord, Teach me to bless my kids. Teach me to bless them. Teach me to call out the best in them. 
Teach me to pray for them. Teach me to, 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 to name them the way that you would name them. And we get to do that. So let me pray, and then let's gather together, and let's come to the table, and let's worship, and end by just simply saying, God, you're good, you're with us, and we want to walk in your way. So Father, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your birthright. I thank you that you call us your sons and daughters and invite us into a relationship with you. And so I pray that we would be able to walk in the blessing and extend it to others. It's in your name we pray, amen. If anybody wants to kind of have a longer conversation about this, if anybody's saying, man, I, I kind of want this blessing, uh, we have a prayer team that's in the back. They'd love to gather with you, pray with you. After every service, as we gather together and as we take communion, there's folks in the back that would love to pray with you, would love to talk to you about what a relationship with Jesus looks like, would love to talk to you about what this grace and forgiveness is, and would love to just pray for you about anything that's going on. And so we've got folks in the back that would love to pray with you. Let's just kind of gather and pray and worship together to send out the day.